It's not slums of film history if it's not about exploitation. And today, we take on a big, fat topic. Whether they're sad people, loveless people, farting people, food-loving people, farting people, unhealthy people, farting people, or just farting people. The overweight have been the targets of screenwriters for many years. So sit back. Grab some pizza and chips and cake as we talk about the horrible treatment of large people in my episode called Fat Exploitation. Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from evil dolls, to murderous twins, to aborted baby toxic waste monsters. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hi, Tom. Hey, Slate. I told you before you even hit record. This episode is a hot-ass mess. <laughs> I'm like, so excited it's a mess. to see this train wreck. I restructured this episode so many different ways to try to get it to be something that had some type of social, political value. <laughs> Because you can't just be like, fat people are fat. That doesn't, that's not helping anything. No. But then there are some fat jokes that are funny jokes and that are classics. I can't just sit here and go one way or the other on this whole thing. So this one was really complicated for me. And I'm just (laughs) going to apologize in advance for my third time for this episode. Quite possibly the worst episode of Slums of Film History ever. And on top of that, too, because this is the last one we're recording, so we're (laughs) already fucking loopy. I took a bunch of cold medicine earlier, and now we've been (laughs) drinking. And it's going to be something. This This could be a classic or it could just be this a fucking be train wreck. this could be the throwaway of the podcast but. all right before we get started let's just talk about a couple of comments that we got from my last episode on castration oh goody yeah a lot of people really wanted to make sure <laughs> that their the scene that they liked of somebody's dick cutting off was mentioned we're sorry we hurt anybody's feelings and didn't get the right dick cutting scene that they enjoy the first scene is from Gurench, and he mentioned the scene in Foxy Brown where Pam Greer's character castrates the mob boss's boyfriend and hand delivers it to her to complete her revenge. It's kind of cool. I can't believe cool. we missed Foxy Brown. Yeah, because I've seen that movie and I forgot all about that. That used to be my favorite hangover movie to watch. If I like woke one. up and was like, oh, I would order a bunch of food and watch Foxy Brown. <laughs> You never told me that. I can't believe I missed that one. Yeah, no kidding. The next comment came from Derek, and he mentioned a close call in Action Jackson where they even show you the character's balls in a jar right before they try to castrate Carl Weathers. Damn. I forgot about that. I, I don't know too. if I ever really knew about that. I say I forgot about it. I don't think I've ever seen Action Jackson. Really? I you own it. it. You do? <laughs> I do oh. have a copy of it. Know what we're doing tonight. Yeah, movie night. 
And the last one is from listener Lauren, who mentioned there was the scene, another close call in Fight Club, where I guess they they pull that guy into the bathroom, right? And then they put a rubber band around his balls, like they're going to castrate him. Yeah. But then when they go to castrate him, they just cut the rubber band instead, just to like fake him out. Yeah, it's very similar to that scene in Hard Candy. Right, right. But quicker and Uh whatever. But yeah. Cool. Well, thanks everyone for emailing, Facebooking, and Twittering us your dick cutting off references feel free to send in any more dick cutting scenes that we photos yeah explicit photos would be great film clips whatever whatever you got thanks everyone thanks so we've done exploitation episodes before. We did yep. black exploitation, hag exploitation, and hick exploitation. Mm-hmm. But this one is a little bit different. So fat exploitation is not really a genre of film like black exploitation or even nun exploitation. Right. Even hag exploitation is the exploitation of older women as psychopaths. So just because there's a mean old person, that's not a hag exploitation movie. Gotcha. It's very very specific in genre. Mm-hmm. But similar to hick exploitation, overweight people can take on different characters characteristics but they're always stereotypes that are based on their weight alone right so exploitation is the one that's the closest probably mm-hmm. just because there's an overweight person in a movie does not mean it's a fat exploitation movie right there needs to be some exploitation of the fat person or person portraying a fat person in order to make money in hollywood specifically right so this can be anything from them loving food breaking things when they sit down on the mm-hmm. thing which is in almost every movie i talk about today being mean because they're fat that's a big one being unhealthy excess sweating anything that stereotypes them because of their weight only so but it's not horror movies or dramas or comedies or anything it's it's all of them it's every type of movie gotcha that exploits a fat person okay so let's start with a little bit of history one of the reasons why obesity exists in the first place is we as people now have food whereas we used to not have food right for most of human history mankind has struggled with food scarcity So therefore, obesity has been viewed as a sign of wealth and prosperity, and that's specifically in Europe in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance and ancient East Asian civilizations. Once the Industrial Revolution began, developing nations' weight increased dramatically through the 19th century. But it was really after World War II in the 1950s where people started increasing in size. Packaged foods, refrigeration, and freezers combined with increasing wealth, people driving cars everywhere instead of walking, etc., led to more food options cheaper food options and mass production of food, Mm -hmm. which meant that you don't have to be wealthy or prosperous to be overweight anymore. But I want to talk about the first portrayals of overweight people in the media, specifically art, before we get into film. The first sculptural representations of the human body 20 to 35,000 years ago depict what we would call larger women. Okay. Some attribute the Venus figurines to the tendency to emphasize fertility, while others felt that they represented the actual shape of people at the time. Obesity was not depicted in Greek or Roman art, probably in keeping with their ideals regarding moderation. However, overweight people were present in Greek comedies, and that was usually they were gluttonous or, you know, the figure of mockery. It's really the first time we started to see it. This changed a bit during the Renaissance when some of the upper class began flaunting their large size, as can be seen in portraits of Henry VIII of England and Alessandro del Barro. 
Peter Paul Rubens, the artist Rubens, regularly depicted full-bodied women in his paintings. That's where we get the term Rubenesque. I'm sure you've heard that before. Yep. These women, however, still maintained that hourglass shape with its relationship to fertility. So they're larger women, but you would never call them obese women. You right. Know, the big, bigger girls. During the 19th century, views on obesity changed in the Western world. After centuries of obesity being synonymous with wealth and social status, slimness began to be seen as the desirable standard. And so by the time film rolls around in the late 1800s, thin is the body standard for on-screen characters. Yeah. So the first example of fat people in the movies is probably Fatty Arbuckle, starting around 1909 and ending in 1921 due to the Virginia rap scandal. Mm -hmm. We talked about that and how it led to the creation of the production code in our episode on stag films. So I want to talk instead a little bit more about the actual career of, of old Fatty Arbuckle. Okay. So his actual name was Roscoe Arbuckle, and he was born big. 13 pounds, actually. He was a 13-pound baby. Good God, his mom. He was actually a very agile person, and this led to a career in physical comedy, which, of course, at that time meant vaudeville. Yeah. This quickly turned into a reoccurring role on the Keystone Cops for the screen, and he was a huge sensation, no pun intended. He was really overweight, but he could do backflips and somersaults and cartwheels, and he was really good at inventing new sight gags. In fact, he threw the first pie in the classic pie-in-the-face gag ever on screen in 1913. I didn't so know that. Fatty Arbuckle invented the pie-in-the-face gag, at least for the screen. Oh, I had yep. no idea. It's important to mention that Roscoe didn't like being called Fatty even though that was his stage name. Right. It was his nickname in high school, and he hated it, but used it as his star name. And even, you know, as he played female characters, he went by Miss Fatty. If you ever called him that to his face, though, you probably didn't make that mistake twice, according to legend. But also, something interesting, his comedy didn't rely on him being fat. If you watch old reels of him, he had the same style as Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. There were no gags like him sitting on chairs that broke or eating too much. In fact, you know, he mentored Charlie Chaplin and discovered Bob Hope. So he, you know, kind of based his career off of that time and, and that type of comedy. But yeah. it wasn't because he was fat. He was a fat person doing that type of comedy. Gotcha. But then that scandal happened and it basically took his career down with it. Although if you really look at all the court records and stuff, it doesn't seem like that he was guilty of anything other than being in the wrong scandal at the wrong time, right around the time of yellow journalism at its peak. Yeah. So for more information on that, listen to episode 49, which is Stag Films, where we talk a lot about that and how it basically started the, the Hays Code. Yep. Roscoe Arbuckle wasn't the only person in Hollywood to be called fatty. After coming to America to find stardom in American film, Greta Garbo was told by Louis B. Mayer that in America, quote, we don't like fat women. Garbo apparently ate nothing but spinach for three weeks and then dieted rigorously for the rest of her Hollywood career. In fact, she's mostly responsible for the celebrity diet craze that still kind of exists now. Yeah. She sought the advice of Gaylord Hauser. He was actually a Gaylord, um, mm -hmm. a German gay doctor that promoted all sorts of health and dieting fads, some that probably worked and some that probably didn't. He wrote tons of books and was dietitian to many stars like Grace Kelly and Ingrid Bergman. A lot of his weight loss tactics were probably quackery, but he also pioneered the natural food movement that we all know today, while other doctors were pushing diet pills and supplements. So that's where that all started. Huh. It was kind of interesting. That is interesting. But it wasn't just women that struggled with their weight. Orson Welles spent his entire career trying to slim down. According to his biographer, Barton Whaley, by summer 1949, when he was 34, his weight had crept 
crept up to a stout 230 pounds. In 1953, he weighed 275 pounds. Damn. And after 1960, he remained permanently obese. So that was Orson Welles mm-hmm. back in the day. And then there was Judy Garland. Oh, my God. Who we last talked about during the Christmas episode. Uh When Garland signed on to MGM at 13 years old, Louis B. Mayer immediately began controlling her diet, according to legend. So supposedly spies kept detailed notes of what she ate every day and took her food away once she consumed a certain amount of calories. They kept a close watch on her and even took notes of when she'd sneak out for ice cream or milkshakes. This is a 13-year-old girl. Damn. Not only that, executives constantly told her she she looked like a monster and a fat little pig with pigtails. Jesus Christ. They also fed her diet pills and she was smoking 80 cigarettes a day to keep her appetite under control. As a result, Garland suffered from an eating disorder for the rest of her life. That's true. We know that that's true. Yeah. It's believed that this was a contributing factor to her drug addiction as diet pills and speed were an effective way to suppress her appetite. And this was how obesity was dealt with throughout most of the golden age of film. Keep the stars slim. In fact, you don't see a lot of larger people in main roles really at all until about the 60s. Yeah. And it seems the easiest way to start was with kids. I should bring up that the first overweight child to star in movies was Norman Chaney in the Our Gang comedies of the late 20s. Our Gang is kind of like the little rascals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He was very overweight. This is Norman Chaney. And he played the role of Chubby in numerous one (laughs) and two reelers before dying of heart issues at 21. Oh my God. In the 60s, we also saw Piggy in The Lord of Flies. Note that every character up to this point is named Fatty, Chubby, and Piggy. Jesus, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Piggy is overweight, has asthma, and poor eyesight, and is ultimately murdered by a group of 12-year-olds for suggesting they act civilized. In 1971's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the character Augustus Gloop is a big, mean, greedy, obese kid from Germany that gets sucked up into a chocolate pipe. Remember that? That freaked me out when I was a kid. It was scary. It was scary, yeah. So all three of these characters are essentially not only made fun of because of their weight, but in the cases of Piggy and Gloop, cautionary tales of what could come to you if you're overweight in an average weight world. Right. Don't they sing something? Like, don't the Oompa Loompa yeah, sing Oompa-Lumpas, something? Like, yeah. You're a fat kid. You're gonna die. It's basically I that. Mean, and it's it like, goes on for a while. It does, I yeah. read the lyrics of it and it was like, Oompa Loompa, mm-hmm. you are so fat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it goes on for four more minutes. Right. You know, it's like, we got it, Oompa Loompas. Yeah. And like, then he gets sucked up by the chocolate thing and yeah. dies somewhere. They're not that skinny either. Uh, I mean, no, 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 no. 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 I know. They're called they're, Oompa Loompas. Like, right. Yeah. They, they got no room to talk. You yeah. Know? From what I can tell, the first main character to star in a fat exploitation film was Dom DeLuise in Fatso from oh, 1980. Remember, remember that? I remember that movie. I've never even heard of it. I think I saw it on a movie channel or something like super young. I don't remember a goddamn thing about it, but I just remember the title and that Dom DeLuise was the token fat guy at that time period in these movies. Remember who directed it? Burt Reynolds. Nope. No. You're, you're in the right kind of time zone, but it was a woman and it was the only film she ever directed. I know. I don't know. Anne Bancroft. Really? Only film she ever directed was Weird. a fatsploitation movie called Fatso with Dom DeLuise. It's strange. You learn something new every day. Wow. Yeah. You're really knocking it out of the park with this All one. Right, like... good. Fatso is about a child whose mother constantly fed him every time something goes wrong. Now, as an adult, he eats constantly and 
on the death of his also overweight cousin, decides he needs to lose weight. There are some comedic scenes of him breaking the doors off of locked food cabinets, an overweight support group that turns into a food orgy, and Dom eating all the Chinese food he picked up for the entire family. It's also a love story as he tries to woo a woman that he's too insecure to ask out because of his weight. In the end, they get married and photographs of the two of them in the future with children suggest that he loses most of his excess weight in the end. Some people liked Fatso, and some people really did not. Oh, yeah. In fact, Roger Ebert really did not like it. I can see that, yeah. Yeah. He was a bigger gentleman. Mm -hmm. He wrote, quote, Fatso has a director, a screenplay, and a cast who are all uncertain about how they really feel about the overweight. Wow. So I haven't seen this, but there is an element of, in the movie, fat people don't deserve love because they've chosen food instead. In the summaries that I've read of it, this is not the last time you're going to hear about this complaint about how overweight people are constantly being asked to choose between their weight and basically everything else in the world when it comes to love, success, health, and and even family. Mm -hmm. A completely different type of film dealing with three overweight rappers came out in 1987. (laughs) And that movie's, you know this one? Yes. When we say it, yeah, disorderly, disorderly, starring the Fat Boys, of which I just watched. Oh my God, you watched yeah, disorderly! Well, I loved this movie as a kid. I thought it was the funniest thing that I had ever seen. And now, I still really enjoyed it. Okay. It's really they're in on the joke. I mean, yeah, you no, know, they're having fun. Vanilla Ice is worse as cool a as rapper ice. turned yeah. actor. They're having fun. They're having a good time. It's a fun watch. If the three Stooges made you laugh yourself sick, the Fat Boys could put you in the hospital. In Disorderlies, this greedy nephew is having unhealthy thoughts about his rich uncle. When he dies, I'm going to inherit everything. What? What I need are the worst orderlies in the history of nursing care. This can't possibly be the new order test. Is the world's noblest profession going to the dogs? But the fat boys aren't the heavies. Their job is to breathe new life into an old Palm Beach millionaire. So if you don't remember the fat boys, they were three overweight beatboxers. And around this time, movies like Break-In and Beat Street were the new modern musicals. Mm -hmm. I saw somebody write about Disorderlies that that this was kind of an urban version of beach parties movies. You know, the beach party movies were kind of musicals, but they were all kind of the same. And so, you know, Break-In, Beat Street, all of that, you know, were kind of like these urban black rapping musicals. Yeah. I feel like Canon Films released all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like they they jumped on that whole breakdancing thing and Mm -hmm. just was like, get them out there the fat boys seemed like the perfect stars and to be honest they kind of are they always made fun of their own weight it was also at a time where hip-hop music was much more comedic than it is now right it didn't take itself very seriously and so the fat boys used their weight to set them apart from other groups and as actors they were fine (laughs) disorderlies is about a rich nephew who wants his ailing uncle to hurry up and die so he hires three orderlies that are kind of a shit show and their neglect will probably kill him. But they all end up getting along really well and the uncle actually gets better 
Add in scenes of the fat boys literally eating about a hundred Domino's pizzas, and that's pretty much the movie. Yeah. As I mentioned, you can't really call it fat exploitation because the fat boys already had this shtick. They just made a movie about it and made some money for themselves. Yeah. But I doubt they would have made a fish out of water beatboxing comedy about three rappers called the Thin Boys. But I mean, you know, sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad this movie exists. Yeah. Of course, fat men are funny in Disorderlies, but fat women are tormented in Heathers from 1988. Mm -hmm. This is one of the rare movies where someone being teased for being overweight is actually legitimately overweight. I decided to skip movies like Bridget Jones' Diary, where Renee Zellweger is considered fat, or Love Actually, where Hugh Grant makes fat jokes about a girl who's probably about a size six. I hate that. I skipped all that. Yeah, it's stupid. But Martha Dunstock, played by actress Carrie Lynn, was an actual very overweight teen girl. Right. She's ostracized throughout Heathers and basically has no friends and is nicknamed Martha Dump Truck. The thing about it that's a little different up to this point is that none of the things that happen to Martha are funny to the audience. No. So her classmates ridicule her, but the audience feels really bad for her. Right. In fact, you barely hear her speak until the end of the movie after she's survived a suicide attempt. So the 80s kind of set the stage for fat men equals funny, but fat women equals sad. Right. Another of the only movies to feature someone extremely overweight was What's Eating Gilbert Grape from 1993. Mm -hmm. Originally based on a book that I read probably 20 times before the movie came out, it's about a 20-something guy played by Johnny Depp in the Midwest who still lives with and takes care of his family after his father killed himself. He has three sisters and a special needs brother played by Leonardo DiCaprio in his first Oscar-nominated performance. Yeah, it's a good performance. It is. It is very good. Also in the house is his mother, former beauty queen, but now extremely overweight, about 500 pounds, and she refuses to leave the house. Meanwhile, the floor below her is starting to sag and Leonardo DiCaprio is acting out. He gets arrested and she decides to leave the house for the first time in years to go get him. You remember the scene? I do. Yeah. yeah. It's tough to watch. It is. It's a process getting her in the car and into the police station and other townspeople gather around. One of them takes pictures. She's a local legend, but kind of not in a good way. Right. Yeah. In the end, she dies in her sleep and Gilbert and family burn the house down with her in it to spare the embarrassment of having the body removed by a crane. The actress playing Gilbert's mom was named Darlene Cates, and she had never acted before other than she had done a couple trashy TV shows about being overweight. I think she was on Springer and stuff like that. She got really good reviews, and there were some whispers that she would get an Oscar nomination. But Gilbert Grape didn't do that well at the box office, and Leo got most of the attention. In addition, there were some that perhaps thought she didn't have much of a future in acting since parts for women her size were basically non-existent until this movie. This will come up again later. It's probably not necessarily fat exploitation, but there is a huge shame that hangs over her head in the movie. We never know why Gilbert's dad kills himself, but being embarrassed of how large she has gotten is most of her character development. Yeah. She's sympathetic, but she's also kind of treated like the fat woman at a freak show. Right. Whatever happened to the actress? She died. But she died not too long ago. Okay. She was in, I think she was in one other thing as a small part. It might have been a TV movie or something like okay. that. But again, there are there are no roles for a 500-pound woman. Right. You know. I feel like there was some sort of push when the movie did get popular to try to help her with her weight. There was something that they were trying to yep. engage her with, and I don't know what happens. That's why I asked. Yeah. yeah. Again, the movie didn't do that well at the box office, and then, you know, it kind of just disappeared. So right. We've talked about a lot of overweight people, but now we reach the point in film history where fat suits start. 
I'm going to skip past Tim Allen and the Santa Claus from 1994, basically because I just don't want to talk about Tim Allen, a Christmas kids comedy. I just don't care. <laughs> but I do want to talk about Eddie Murphy and The Nutty Professor from oh, 1996. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nutty Professor was a runaway hit remake of the Jerry Lewis movie from 1963 and really sent Eddie Murphy into the second coming of his career. Yeah. He was known for extremely racy and hard R-rated films like Beverly Hills Cop, Coming to America, and 40 hours oh yeah i know yeah but the nutty professor was something completely different it was a family movie essentially eddie murphy plays a scientist who's very overweight and can't find or isn't worthy of love like what we saw in fatso he discovers a serum that can make him lose a lot of weight fast and so of course he does it but it also kind of turns him into a monster Mm -hmm. he falls for a girl who likes him too but as we realize the skinny eddie murphy is a dick and we also understand that the serum will end up killing him if he doesn't chill it is funny that him being a skinny dick wasn't good enough they were like oh and it has to be really bad for him because he would still obviously choose to be a mean skinny person instead of a fat person anyway i just thought that was interesting he ends up going back to being fat and accepting himself for who he is and he and the girl remain friends he does not get the girl in the end so she sees how wonderful he is inside but he's still fat so he didn't get the girl right of course the nutty professor is filled with fat jokes and bathroom humor but it got good reviews mainly for Eddie Murphy's performance and the fact that it kind of has a redeemable message in the end which is basically it's okay to be a good person even if you're fat yeah Far less redeemable was the sequel, The Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps, where Eddie Murphy played all of his own fat relatives. I haven't seen this movie. Have you seen it? No, but he also played them in the first movie, too. Yeah, it, this was kind of like almost like a spinoff type right. of thing. From what I've heard, it's 90 minutes of fart sounds. Probably. I do want to go back a second and say, okay, so his family that he did play in the first movie. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting point is that his family also like it reinforced his bad eating habits. Like, mm-hmm. they're like, you're not fat, son. Uh-huh. You know, you're fine. And, you know, Oprah was hot when she was fat. You know, he's trying to lose weight, but they're, like, not helping him Right, whatsoever. they're, yeah, just eating food or whatever. That's yeah, yeah. the whole, that's, from what I've heard, the entire second movie is just them eating and farting and fart sounds. Right. Yeah. Whereas the first one kind of succeeded in telling an emotional story with some fat jokes, the second one was really all fat jokes. Right. Yeah, yeah. One of the most criticized fat exploitation movies ever is Shallow Hal from 2001. Oh, yeah. Shallow Hal, I just watched this. Like, I, I've never seen it, but I actually did rent from Netflix DVD Shallow Hal and watch the whole thing. You know why you were able to get it from Netflix DVD? Because you're the only Nobody person that uses it. Netflix yeah. DVD. Well, I'm just saying you're the only one that uses that service anymore. So. Wow, you kind of turned that joke a little <laughs> bit. I was like, because no one else wanted to watch Shallow Hal, but you made it into an old joke, which is really... <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, commendable, yeah. yeah. Shallow How was the Farrelly brothers. They made something about Mary and Dumb and Dumber. And it was kind of their attempt to get away from the dumb boy humor and start getting into more mature content. The plot, a dopey, overweight guy played by Jack Black only wants to date and sleep with models, even though he's dopey and overweight. Right. He meets a life coach in an elevator and gets hypnotized into seeing women for their inner beauty only. He then meets Rosemary, who is Gwyneth Paltrow in a fat suit, but sees her as thin. She plays both fat Rosemary and skinny Rosemary. Then the rest of the movie is about how much she eats and how many things she breaks by sitting on them. And then he realizes she's fat, but decides he loves 
her anyway, and they drive off in a little car that sags on one side because of how fat she is. To them, this movie, to them meaning the Farrelly brothers, this was a movie about someone finally being able to see someone's inner beauty, but a lot of people were really horrified by this movie. I mean, don't worry, I broke it all down. Oh, goody. Oh, goody. Oh, do it. I watched this movie because when you read about it, it's really complicated about what the issues of the movie are, and I decided I had to see them and figure them out for myself. I've done a lot of thinking about Shallow How. Said no one else ever. Ever, right? Have you seen this? Probably when it came out, I was probably drunk and glad I was drunk. So to start with, Gwyneth Paltrow in a fat suit is troubling. I'm not suggesting you find a really fat actress and then have her lose a bunch of weight for the skinny scenes, but I'm saying putting Gwyneth Paltrow in a fat suit, there's already inherently something wrong with that. Right. I don't want to get too highbrow here, and I read a lot of opinion pieces about Shallow Hal, but the thing that makes it so fat exploitation-y is that this isn't about seeing a woman for her inner beauty. It's about seeing Gwyneth Paltrow. Hal's interest in fat Rosemary stems directly from the fact that in his eyes, she looks like Gwyneth Paltrow. So basically, personal values such as kindness don't matter just as long as you think you're dating Gwyneth Paltrow. Right. In addition, there's a scene where after Jack Black becomes unhypnotized, he sees all women as ugly, hideous fat people as played by women in fat suit and prosthetic noses. Because if he's not seeing a woman that looks like Gwyneth Paltrow, she must be hideous. And of course, fat women are hideous. So when they actually show him seeing actual women for what they really look like, they make them all look fat and hideous and fake noses or whatever. Wow. And the scenes played for comedy is he's like, oh, everyone's fat and hideous and disgusting because they're fat. And it's just like, this is not what you're trying to say with this movie. Right. You can tell why they cast Jack Black and Jason Alexander as his best friend. And choosing fat white guys, that means that the movie can't be fat phobic, right? Because the guys aren't hot either. And I get why they did this. However, there's also a subplot where Jack Black tries to sleep with his really hot neighbor and she has no interest in him. But once she sees him with fat Gwyneth Paltrow, she suddenly falls in love with him. Meaning that she doesn't even need to see Jack Black as a non-fat Jack Black because women are all dying to date an overweight loser that is actually dating someone in his league for once. So in this, a hot woman can fall for a fat man when all he has to do is show her that he can fall for a fat woman, but really he just fell for Gwyneth Paltrow. Also, Peter Farrelly has two Oscars, so I'll just let that settle (laughs) in. I know I mentioned it last time. Wow. Two Oscars. Two Oscars. One and two. Yep. So let me comment on that and say that I think casting Jack Black and who was the other Jason Alexander isn't so much as being like, oh, they're fat and unattractive, too, as is it sort of caters to that whole idea. And I think they thought they were subverting it in a weird way where all these TV shows and properties have this fat slubby guy getting a hot chick. Mm -hmm. King of Queens had Kevin James with What's her name? That, that hot, hot chick. chick from Say by the Bell. I think Kevin James again got like Rosario Dawson and fucking Hitch. It's always mm-hmm. this flat, schlubby guy who gets some hot chick because she sees that he's a great guy. Right. But God forbid there's like a decent looking guy that goes for some sort of overweight equivalent in the female because that's just that's not going to happen. Anyone is allowed to make whatever type of movie they want to. I'm not going to criticize them for wanting to make a funny movie about weight issues. You can't just be like, oh, they put Gwyneth Pounder on a fat suit. That's a 
offensive. That's not offensive. Right. But the movie is really offensive. So were you in like a white hot rage after you were done with it? <laughs> no, I don't care. Sometimes Again, you get mad at things. I do sometimes get mad at things. But so speaking of overweight men sleeping with younger attractive women, though you brought up. Okay. Let's talk about Fat Bastard from the second and third Austin Powers movies. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me from 99 and Austin Powers and Goldmember from 2002. You remember Fat Bastard? Oh, yeah. He's one of Austin's enemies and is also played by Mike Myers, said to weigh a metric ton, which is about 2,200 pounds. I had to look that up. Jesus. Fat Bastard is Scottish and, of course, farts and poops a lot, is frequently seen naked and also eats babies. He tried to eat Mini-Me and he says at the end of one of the movies, quote, I eat because I'm unhappy and I'm unhappy because I eat. It's a vicious cycle. Now, if you'll excuse me, there's someone I need to get in touch with and forgive myself. And then he farts, which is kind of kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Kind of funny. Yeah. You're a connoisseur of fart jokes, so yeah, I do find them funny. Mm-hmm. The combination of the Nutty Professor, Shallow Hal, and Fat Bastard set off a wave of actors and actresses in fat suits, like Keenan Thompson in Fat Albert from 2004. <laughs> Martin Lawrence in Big Mama's House from 2000 and Tyler Perry's Medea movie starting in 2000, all featuring men in fat suits. Ryan Reynolds wore one in Just Friends, Adam Sandler in Click, Ben Stiller in Dodgeball. This goes on for a minute. So Dana Carvey in The Master of of Disguise, Steve Carell in Get Smart, Alison Hannigan in Date Movie, John Travolta in Hairspray. The list kind of goes on for a while, but it kind of seemed to hit its breaking point at right around 2007. Okay. I've been wanting to talk about this for a long time. This is one of those weird moments in film history that I know a lot about. Oh, good, good. And it's the Eddie Murphy Norbit situation. Never saw Norbit. Hmm? I heard it's so ungodly, dreadful, terrible, bad. I've got a big story about Norbit. Oh, good. Tell me all about Norbit. I'm excited. Obviously, Eddie Murphy, you know, moved into family-friendly movies in the 90s with Shrek, The Nutty Professor, and Dr. Doolittle. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. His career waned a bit in the 2000s with a series of flops like The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Remember that one? He has like $800 million and it made a buck 50. Yeah. I Spy, Daddy Daycare, and The Haunted Mansion. He made Mm -hmm. all those back-to-back. Yeah. But all that was looking to change when the early reviews of the musical Dream Girls saying that Eddie Murphy was fantastic as R&B singer and heroin addict Jimmy Thunder early. And he was great. If, have you seen Dream Girls? Yeah, yeah and he yeah, was great. Really good. The award nominations started pouring in and he even won the Golden Globe and Screen Actors Guild Awards for Best Supporting Actor. Eddie Murphy was just about to win an Oscar. And then Norbit dropped. Meet a nice guy. Norbit! 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 With a huge problem. What am I gonna do? Let me tell you, just between the two of us, I can't keep Norbit off me. Boom, bam, boom, boom. But I ain't mad at him. Hey! Eddie Murphy. Right for your life! Eddie Murphy. A horror show. And Eddie Murphy. Don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? Norbit was written by and starred Eddie Murphy as three different characters. Norbit, a shy and soft-spoken orphan who's married to Rasputia, also played by Murphy. You know I hate literal names, so I already hate the fact that her name is Rasputia. The third character was Hang Ten Wong, an older Asian man that runs an orphanage. So Eddie Murphy played an older Asian man. That's not cool, but no one really cared too much about the yellow face considering how horrible the character of Rasputia was. It was kind 
kind of like, oh, that's horrible, but Rasputia is so much worse. So much worse. Yeah. So she was a really mean and horrible person, and she treated Norbit like shit, but most of the jokes in the movie were about her weight. So a few examples that you can watch on YouTube. Respucia goes down a water slide and flies through a wall and lands in the kiddie pool, and all the water in the pool splashes out. That's so cheap. Right. That is the cheapest... Bad humor ever. There's a montage of Respucia jumping into bed with Norbit, and every time she breaks the bed, so the bed just keeps breaking like over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. A scene where she tries to get through turnstiles but can't fit but the movie is really kind of about how horrible and mean she is but in order to make it a comedy it's full of fat jokes so it's actually a really kind of sad mean movie about her treatment of norbit the movie got awful reviews and critics were genuinely horrified by eddie murphy's essentially misogynist idea of what overweight black women were like so did he film this before dream girls and it was released afterward, or was it like he was like back to back? I'm going to do this a great performance and do this nightmare. I don't know the answer to that. I do know that Dreamgirls was released, I think, around in November. It was around Christmas time, and Norbit was released in February, right before the Oscars. So right. my guess would be that they were filmed in that order, that he filmed Dreamgirls first and then filmed Norbit. But it was an unfortunate time for Norbit to come out. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, the news around Hollywood was that Eddie Murphy's late career turn to serious actor, like in Dreamgirls, came crashing down. The story was now that Dreamgirls was a fluke. Eddie Murphy hadn't changed at all and was still making fart jokes, dressed as a fat black woman again, and basically didn't deserve nice things. He almost had that Oscar. Did you watch that year? Everyone no. was like, here he goes, gonna win it. Who, gonna got, win. who got the best supporting at actor? At the very last second. I mean, Norbit came out like the week before voting closed at right. the Oscars. And Alan Arkin won for Little Miss Sunshine, but he won no precursor awards. He's great in that movie. That's a good movie. Right. But he won no precursor awards. He won nothing. And then he won the Oscar out of the clear blue. Murphy was really pissed, apparently, and he got up and stormed out of the Oscars. He thought he was going to win. No one knows whether the reason why he didn't win for Dreamgirls was because of Norbit, but it certainly didn't help. Well, aren't these votes in already? Or you're saying before I'm voting closed? The week the, before it right, closed, gotcha, gotcha. Norbit came yeah, yeah, out. Yeah. Yep. Huh. So that's one of those big Oscar rumors, you know, Hollywood rumors that, you know, yeah. at the last second, he put out this piece of crapple a movie. Right. And people were just like, hmm, you're not going to vote for him. That's a dick move. I mean, nominate the performance. Mm -hmm. I mean, because fucking Holly Berry got an Oscar for Monsters Balls and had Catwoman come out right before that, which was like the shitty follow-up to that that mm -hmm. she was in, that terrible movie with Sharon Stone. Would that have cost her her Oscar win? There is a difference, though, because Eddie Murphy wrote this film. Okay, yeah, it's pretty bad. And played these characters. So Halle Berry, and listen, Catwoman is considered to be one of the worst movies in the world. I right. haven't seen it. My parents went and saw it, and they're usually like, we really liked it. It was entertaining. They were like, that movie was trash. Damn. It was a piece of straight trash. <laughs> <laughs> but people were kind of like, yeah, Halle Berry was in Cat when it was a shitty movie. But people were like, Eddie Murphy is a monster for making this movie. There was no <laughs> reason for this movie to exist. Yeah. It's mean, it's sad, it's misogynist, and then added a whole bunch of fat people jokes on top of it. Hmm. 
Yeah. It's my, one of my favorite stories, though, because you know... It's a great I, story. It's a great, great legend, story. whether it may it's true or, may or not. It may or not be true. I'm not saying it. But this was something that was circling around, and I still was like... I remember watching the Oscars, and I put my money on Eddie Murphy winning, and then he didn't win, and everyone was like, ooh, Norbit. Damn. In contrast to men in fat suits playing large black women breaking chairs and farting a lot, there was Precious from 2009. Oh, my God. Precious was based on a novel about an extremely overweight black teenager living in New York in the 80s with her abusive mother. Precious is pregnant with her second child, both of which are her father's, and she appears to be learning disabled. Oh, and then she finds out she's HIV positive, so it's a real crowd pleaser. Yeah, real happy film. Precious was one of those movies that probably wasn't meant to be as big as it was. I realize now that that's a pun. But performances by Monique and newcomer Gabroy Sidibe and the production backing by Oprah got the film a much bigger opening than originally planned. And it worked. Precious made $63 million on a $10 million budget, which well, considering the subject matter is a lot of money. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. There were critics that said that it was a manipulative film, a kind of poverty torture porn, but in general, it was well received. And then the Oscars were announced and Precious was nominated for six. So it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Editing, Best Adapted Screenplay, which it won, Best Supporting Actress, which it also won, mm -hmm. and Best Actress for Gebroy Sidibe. Gebroy Sidibe had never acted before and was very different than her character in Precious. She was outspoken, usually with a huge smile on her face. She did all the press tours for the movie and walked red carpets. She had an Oscar nomination for the first film she was ever in, just like Jennifer Hudson, Anna Paquin, and even Oprah Winfrey. Mm -hmm. But there was an undercurrent in Hollywood that Gabroy shouldn't have gotten the nomination, that she took up a nomination that could have gone to Emily Blunt or Marianne Cotillard at the time. It was almost as if because she was overweight and played an overweight character, she was typecast. This was just a rumor until Howard Stern said on his show, quote, there's the most enormous fat black chick I've ever seen. She's enormous. Everyone's pretending she's part of show business and she's never going to be in another movie. She shouldn't have gotten the best actress award because she's never going to have another shot. What movie is she going to be in? So that was a quote. He said that on his show. Right. This obviously pissed a lot of people off, obviously because it was mean and rude and come on. Yeah. But also, it was kind of true. Gabroy Sidibe is a lovely human being. She interviews great. I've listened to her on numerous podcasts. She just wrote a book. She used to be a phone sex operator. She's a really interesting, fascinating person. But there aren't any roles for her in Hollywood. Up until Precious, any black woman of her size were played by Eddie Murphy in a fat suit, Martin Lawrence in a fat suit, or Tyler Perry in a fat suit. Right. So this is kind of a lose-lose situation. You pick a skinny actress and put her in a fat suit for Precious, and you get slammed for not being inclusive, obviously not the right decision. You actually pick an overweight actress, and then she's typecast, not as the person she actually is, since Precious and Gabruri couldn't be further apart in character, but because both are fat. Not that Howard Stern should be off the hook for what he said. I mean, how fragile is your manhood that you don't want to see an overweight black woman get an Oscar nomination? But right. this is a complicated thing, because technically what he said was true. Yeah, I mean, but she's been in other movies. She's been in a couple of other movies. I mean, I'm not saying she's, she's been, been in Tower Heist, which I think Eddie Murphy was in, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Which he didn't play her, which that was good. It was one step up from him. Yeah. She was in American Horror Story. Okay. Empire, she was in that. And she talked about being an overweight woman and how, you know, people liked her in the show, but she was had a sex scene and she was going to do it. She got to pick the guy that she, who she had a sex scene and oh, she said people were horrified by it and the internet blew up that a overweight woman could have 
a sex scene in uh, TV. So it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation. But that brings up a, a whole other aspect of this. You mentioned three black men in a fat suit playing women. Mm-hmm. Now, Eddie Murphy played a, you know overweight man in a suit with Clump, but of course he played a very gentle, nice guy. But mm-hmm. all the women you're talking about, I mean, Medea is sassy, but she's still a, a protagonist, but she's sassy. But all like all the other women are like bitchy and also mm-hmm. sassy. And yeah. it's, it's, what does that say? Well, I mean, that was that was one of the main reasons why Norbit was such a thing because people were like, what could Eddie Murphy possibly think good would come out of this portrayal as an overweight, black, mean, rotten woman. It's just, again, he doesn't owe anybody anything, so he doesn't have to protect his race. But what good could have possibly come out of that? I don't know. And of these men playing these overweight women characters, it just, I mean, it was certainly a product of its time, which for Medea, it still is its time, but it's really kind of a messy situation. And then, of course, Gabrori comes along, plays herself, and everyone's like, nah, she doesn't deserve an Oscar nomination because she's typecast because she's fat. So I will say then Paul Blart Mall Cop came along and fixed everything. Just kidding. That it was all just overweight white male fat jokes. Right, it yeah. was. Okay. All right. I'm aware this got kind of grim. So I want to go back to something we spoke about earlier in this episode and show some fat exploitation evolution. And that topic is overweight kids. So we started with Chubby and Piggy and Augustus Gloop, but towards the mid-80s, we started seeing some fat kid heroes. The first is Chunk in Goonies from 1985. (laughs) Yeah. Chunk is a pretty stereotypical fat Jewish kid through most of the movie that's kind of whiny, scared, and he loves food. Of course, he's got that ice cream scene. Right. And Baby Ruth. However, Goonies is about misfit kids that don't really fit in anywhere else. And once Chunk meets Sloth, the special needs deformed face brother of the bad guy characters, they actually team up and Chunk becomes the hero. He rescues the Goonies at the end from the Fratellis. Yeah. Yeah. In the team dramedy Angus from 1995, remember Angus? I forgot all about that. Yeah. Angus Bethune is a smart 16-year-old overweight high schooler that's madly in love with a girl way out of his league. Is this British? No, I think it's American. Okay. But he somehow gets the girl and humiliates the football hero. In Heavyweights, also from 1995, I'm going to very much oversimplify this plot because it's a little bit complicated, but a bunch of overweight kids get sent to a fat camp only to find out the place is bankrupt and they decide to stay anyway because it's fun being at camp and who cares if they lose anyway. Essentially, that's the plot. Right. I mean, you talked about this in summer camp, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And in Fat Kid Rules the World from 2012, a dropout comes to the age of a chubby and a suicidal high school kid by recruiting him as the drummer for his upstart punk rock band. Whereas, especially kind of in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, Fat people were being kind of a mockery of kids actually started becoming heroes fat yeah. kid heroes so yeah, that's it's cool. really kind of interesting of where that headed in a different direction i skip this in the timeline because it's not really fat exploitation but one of the other movies known for actual body positivity was made by john waters John Waters, of course, used his star Divine to exploit literally everything, and stars constantly called her fat in movie scenes for all of the movies. She was always called fat. But John never really saw her weight as a problem, instead thinking it was kind of a blessing as she was an anti-drag queen at the time. Yeah. Even when RuPaul talks about the most famous drag queens, she always talks about how different Divine was because she didn't want to be skinny and beautiful. She wanted to be fat and hideous. Mm-hmm. And John obviously 
thought that that was okay. When he decided to make a comedy about racism, he knew that it would be a tough sell, and he initially wanted Divine as the main character to get on a segregated 1960 Baltimore dance show. He knew he would have to address her weight because it it was going to seem really odd. Also, she was 40 years old at the time that he wanted her to play a high schooler. So he made her big, blonde, and beautiful, and used an overweight girl on the show as a way of introducing new ideas, one of which also happened to be segregation. Oh, and the studios rejected Divine as Tracy Turnblad, considering she was a 42-year-old drag queen <laughs> playing a 16-year-old high school girl. So instead, he cast, of course, Ricky Lake. Ricky Lake was everything John needed for this movie to go mainstream, and people loved her and her body positivity, continuing with the Broadway musical movie version starring Nikki Blonsky and the live TV version starring Maddie Baiglio, all legit overweight girls. So never a girl in a fat suit, right. never a girl that is a size six that everyone just called fat with a little bit of extra stuffing in her butt. Like, legit overweight girls that were talented, could sing, could dance, do everything that that a small girl could do, but always made sure that that girl was a bigger girl. Right. Ricky was always very positive in the in the movie too. And you know yeah. the thing is what I want to point out between the two versions which you know, there's the regular John Waters one and then the musical one with John Travolta and his, the world's worst Baltimore accent Ugh. is that... In a fat suit. In a fat mm-hmm. suit. Is that, like, Ricky Lake, first of all, she starts dancing, she gets popular, she gets the good-looking guy, and then that's it. Like, you know, because normally they'd be a disparity where she's he has the most popular guy in school or in the dance league. Mm-hmm. You know, once they're dating, it's just like they're dating. Like, it's right. fine. They never address it again. Whereas in the musical one with John Travolta, there's added scenes of the Lots mean of girl calling her fat, fat yeah. and her being fat and the... Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. Is, you know, calling her fat more. So there's more comments in there, whereas I think there was like one in the original John Waters. And then once she started hooking up with that guy, it was like, that's it. It's fine. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I feel like that never really came up again. That was really refreshing. Yeah. And then they had to emphasize the shit they out really of it. really turned fucking... it on in the musical yeah. version. Yeah. Well, of course, if you've listened to Slums, you always know that we're going to take the side of the John Waters hairspray I mean, yeah. as opposed to the remake musical. The last movie I want to talk about is super recent. And that is the Netflix movie Dumplin' from 2018. Dumplin' is kind of a modern-day country-western beauty pageant version of Hairspray starring Danielle McDonald as Willa Dean, the overweight teenage daughter of Jennifer Aniston, a former beauty pageant winner. Throughout the movie, Willa Dean grapples with her weight and not being the daughter everyone thinks she should be considering how different-looking she and her mother is, because her mother's Jennifer Aniston. Right. She decides to enter the beauty pageant that her mother is helping to coordinate in an effort to show the American South what a true woman looks like. It's not the best movie in the world, but it got good reviews and is a much better representation of larger women than Norbit or Shallow Hal, although that's not really saying much. Right. Also, Maddie Baiello, I can't, no, I'm not saying that right, Baiello from the live TV Hairspray musical is in it, which goes to show that it's hard for an overweight girl to be in a movie that doesn't address weight. She's, right. I've never seen her in anything other than those two movies, and both of those are movies about big girls. Hmm. So that's where I'm leaving this. I'm hoping I did a decent job of this because it was a lot tougher of a subject than I initially thought. Again, exploitation is by definition aging actresses that are psychopaths. That's pretty focused. Exploitation is poor people from the South that are psychopaths. But exploitation takes on many different themes from laziness, eating all the time, breaking things they sit on, being mean or cruel, being undeserving of love. Or farting, you know, how could I forget about the farting? Farting, yeah. yeah. But another more complicated part of this is actors like Chris Farley and John Candy and Melissa McCarthy and Rebel Wilson, they're all overweight actors and actresses that do physical comedy while being overweight. Is that fat exploitation? 
is John Waters fat-sploiting by making weight a central issue in his movie so that it helps mask the racism issue? Would Paul Blart Mall Cop be made if Kevin James was skinny? I hope I did some justice to this topic, but I gotta tell you, this episode was a mess. So <laughs> Actually, it turned out pretty good, okay. but I would say that to answer those questions, Paul Blart would not be made if he was skinny. Correct. This whole, like, white, fat person, which is what I was going to point out. Mm-hmm. The fact is, you got Rebel Wilson is not much skinnier than Gabrori Sidibe, mm-hmm. yet Rebel Wilson has a very lucrative career. Right. But it, it's also, she's the fat girl in the singing group all the pitch perfect movies her name is fat amy right yeah and she falls down and does all the stupid goofy fat person stuff Mm -hmm. matter of fact i remember seeing the advertisement for pitch perfect three and there was two fat jokes in just the fucking two minute ad right these movies they're just they're clowns it is exploitation well it is but it isn't because there is a little bit of a difference because a lot of people really love the character of fat amy and that she's kind of like yeah i'm fat who cares and but again it's just like with uh fatty arbuck you know, yes, he is falling down. He is doing backflips and somersaults while being fat. There's a big difference between sitting on a chair while fat and then sitting on a chair which breaks while fat. Right. I tried not to focus. I know that my cold open was all about farting. I did try not to focus as much around farting, even though I love farting as a as a movie gag. But there is a big difference between being body positive while being fat and saying, "Listen, I, I get it. I'm fat," and then you kind of move on with the movie. And yeah, sometimes right. just. Just because a fat person falls down doesn't mean it's fat exploitation. Certainly They not. have a right to fall down while being fat. Right. Now, Chris Farley, there was a lot of like... Yeah, a fat man in a little coat. You right, know? but he would roll down the hill or like get caught on an airplane. You know what I mean? Like he... But again, all these physical happen. comedy. I'm not disagreeing with you in any way. Right. But Chris Farley was also in on his own joke. Whereas Norbit is not in on his own joke. Oh, no, because certainly not. Norbit certainly is not. A, a skinny black man right. underneath a fat woman's fat suit. Certainly. So I think there is a certain degree of if you are a comedian, specifically a comedian, which is why I think the Gaburi Sidibe thing was so complicated. If you are a comedian that recognizes the fact that you're overweight and then you do normal things while being overweight then it's kind of like, cool, all you are doing is being yourself and then, yeah, falling down. And so that's what physical comedy is. But right. that was why the Gabarori thing was so complicated. Well, A, it shouldn't have been complicated, but it was. But because she was playing a character that was fat and she was also fat, but they were two completely different characters, they basically thought she was typecast, which mm. is bullshit because I mean, she's yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. like that character. She's not typecast at all. Right. So good episode. Very tough one. Yeah, this one was tough. Yeah. I hope I didn't offend anyone. Normally, I like offending people. The overweight people have been treated really shittily by yeah. Hollywood, even from the very beginning. And that's one of the reasons why I really did talk about the poor treatment of not even overweight people but of judy garland who basically hollywood murdered i mean they didn't you know because they thought that she was a little bit overweight and and then that continues on into the scripts and screenplays and uh and movies that you know you kind of saw up until about 2008 it really does look like precious was kind of a stake in the ground of kind of like we don't really do that anymore i don't think it meant to be but there's much fewer fat suit it was probably the combination of norbit and precious that kind of did it together right you know Reasons, let's though. let's all just stop doing this maybe yeah yeah, yeah. all right well damn hope you thought this was interesting Again, i did this it one... was not as much of a mess or a mess at all honestly okay so. good
All right, that is it. It's the end of season six. What did you think of everything? I enjoyed this season. I enjoyed doing this season. I enjoy every season we do, but I think we went into this a little shaky and we're like, what are we going to do? Jump the shark, which we mentioned earlier in the season, but we got good feedback. So apparently people liked it. I think we did pretty well. There were definitely, we made some last minute changes. We reordered stuff. We shuffled some stuff around and everything just to make sure that it was as good as it can be. But I'm as satisfied with it as I can be satisfied with anything. And I only made you mad at me well a few more times than I usually do. So yeah. You tipped the scale a little bit on this one. Yeah, but yeah. we've resolved all of the issues. Yes, and we have. the season is complete now. Yes, it is. So thanks again for listening. Also, before we go, I'd like to say thanks to John Patterson, who does our theme song. And I didn't get a chance to thank him this season so far, so I'll do it at the end here. So thanks again, John. Thanks, John. Love your music. Yep. We'll see you guys maybe next year. We don't know. Season seven. We're we'll working keep you on posted. It. We yep. talk about some topics that we are thinking that we have left undone so far. So we'll we'll see where it goes. And same with the book. We're working on that as well. Mm-hmm. And of. Slate's got other projects going on still. Yeah. So we're working on we're just working on every damn thing. Yeah. We'll we'll see what rises to the top. Yep. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com, where you can find the links to some of the movies we talked about today. And also be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter, where we share a lot of additional content. And if you like the show or have any comments or suggestions, please drop us an email at slumsoffilmhistory at gmail.com or write us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. That was a lot of what the jokes were, too, right. is that, you know, he sees her, she's beautiful, she takes off her underpants, and she flings it at him, but when the underpants hit him, you know, they're th- it's, and like a it's not even the size of what Gwyneth Paltrow looked like in a fat suit. It was what you would put on an elephant if you wanted to put a pair of pants right. on an elephant. <laughs>